I'm really excited to bring the word this morning. My name is Tellus Fuller. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace Covenant Church, and I'm really, really excited for the word I feel like God has given us this morning. Last week, we got an opportunity to talk about after the yes, after the yes. This was a message about what does it mean and what does it look like for us to give God our full and total yes, no reservations, talking about what does it look like to let go? What does it look like to know that there's more in God for us in our great yeses? And what I want to talk about this week is almost the, the second part of that and almost like the prequel to that message. Talking about great yeses, today I want to talk about a different type of yes. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. And I want to read these couple verses to us and see what God has to say. Daniel chapter 1, verse 11 through 13. And it says this. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of, all, of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. A really interesting passage of scripture that I'm really excited to dive into with us. What I want to title this message today is The Little Yeses. The Little Yeses. And I want to talk about three different types of yeses. One, an invisible yes. Two, an irrelevant yes. And three, an incredible yes. An invisible yes, an irrelevant yes, and an incredible yes. Will you pray with me real quick? Father, we love you so much. Lord, we acknowledge you in this place. And say, Lord, have your way. Do something greater with this time than we can manufacture, than we can create. Holy Spirit, would you tune our ears to hear what you want us to hear and see what you want us to see. Father, we love you so much, and more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The little yeses. I'm really excited to speak about this because I believe that God cares about the little things. Amen? That God cares about the small things. And it's easy for us to say God cares about the big things. God cares about the big human disasters and the big moments and the big crises and the big catastrophes and the big issues of our lives. But today I want to submit to you that God also cares about the little things. Even when we think about the way that God chose to introduce himself to the world is that he chose not by chariots and trumpets and amazing processions from heaven, but he actually chose to enter into this world through a baby. He chose to enter in a little way, a small way, a seemingly unimpressive way, and that there is a value that God has in the little things. Now, when we think about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, this book is, is amazing, and it's, so, it's telling these stories and these prophecies, but some of these stories of these three Hebrew boys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and also this amazing man of God named Daniel. 
What happens is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel were all children of God, Hebrews. They were in the land of Judah. But what happens is that the Babylonian Empire comes and besieges Judah, takes pretty much all of their uh, uh, treasures out of the temple, destroys the temple of God, ends up taking the youth from the people of God and bringing them to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar ends up trying to indoctrinate them, stealing them from their culture, stealing them for his culture, and saying, I'm going to take the best of the youth that I can find of the people of God and use them now for Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel happen to be some of those youths. They end up being brought in into this new empire, into this place and this people, and serving under this king that actually destroyed their culture, ripped them from, from their families, changed their names, and is now trying to teach them and train them in the way of how to be a good Babylonian. Can you imagine trying to serve the person who ruined your life? This is Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. They're stolen from their land. And they end up being trying to Nebuchadnezzar teach them something different. He calls them something different. And in this specific story, what happens is Nebuchadnezzar says, actually, I want to feed you something different. He says, I want all of the youth to come and eat at my table. Now, this was pretty much an honor because not many people got to eat at the king's table. And so the king had the best food. But the issue that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel had was threefold was one that eating a meal, sharing a meal with somebody actually signified your relational tie to them. Two was that this food most definitely was not kosher, as in they were not supposed to eat what this king was offering. And three is that this food was probably offered to idols and not to God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this issue with, with, with what the king was offering them, and they ended up doing exactly what Daniel said. They resolved in their heart, a few verses before, resolved in their heart not to eat what the king would offer them, but says, essentially, we're going to be vegetarians, we're going to be vegans. I'm not sure if this is the Bible's prescription to be a vegan, but if you take it that way, you take it that way. But this is Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego saying, we're not going to take what the king offers, we're going to take what God offers. What, what Nebuchadnezzar is saying, though, is saying, you don't have to look to your old culture anymore for what they can supply. You don't have to look to your old God. Now I'm God. Now you look at me for what you need. You look at me for what you're called. You look at me for what you're fed. You look at me for what you're taught. Isn't that kind of similar to what the world does? I'm telling you, we need to be really careful about the world tries to call you, feed you, and teach you. Because it's going to try and do a lot. I mean, the world has something to say. The world is going to try and make you learn something new. Maybe, maybe I should take an idea from the, what the world has to offer. Maybe I should kind of take the wisdom of the world. Maybe I should kind of learn lessons and take my, 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 my teachings from what the world has to offer me. Maybe I should call myself what the world tells me to call myself. Maybe the world does have an identity to give me. Or maybe I have an identity to give myself. Maybe, maybe I haven't been given an identity by God, and maybe the world can help me find my identity, identity in the world. The world's going to feed you stuff. Maybe you've, your appetite isn't what the world is hungry for, and now you're wondering, am I hungry for the wrong thing? Everyone else is hungry for this. Everyone else is eating this, indulging in this, satisfying their tastes with this, but I feel like I need to be 
hungry for something else. The world will try and name you, teach you, and feed you so many things. But like these three Hebrew boys, we need to say, no, not what the world offers, but what God offers. I'm not going to take what the world feeds me. That's what these three Hebrew boys are saying. I'm not going to take what you're going to feed me. Now, it goes a little bit deeper because their names were changed. So Daniel, his name was Daniel, meaning God is my judge. But listen to this. His name was changed to Belshazzar, meaning Bel's prince, which is a Babylonian god. Hananiah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their names changed from Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And Hananiah's name was beloved by the Lord and was changed to Shadrach, meaning illuminated by the sun god. The name Mishael meant who is as God and was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Venus. The name Azariah meant the Lord is my help and was changed to Abednego meaning servant of Nego, a Babylonian god of wisdom. The king was saying, don't look to God for what you're looking for, for what you need, now look to me. And these three Hebrew boys took a stand in what some of us would call a seemingly small thing, a seemingly small no to the world and a seemingly small yes to God. And I really believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could say no to this because they had said yes to God. That it's really easy to say yes to the fake when you've never tasted the real. If you don't know your identity, it's really easy to adopt an identity. If you don't know what you should be hungry for, it's really easy to take whatever somebody feeds you. If you don't know what you should be taught or what you should learn or what wisdom you should take, it's really easy to say, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe I'll adopt that. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And they said, thanks, but no thanks, Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to take God. I wonder if we can be the same type of people that sees what the world offers and says, thanks, but no thanks. I know what you're offering me. And it might even sound good. It might taste good. It might look good. It might make me feel good. But let me tell you something. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I'm not going to take what the world offers. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said no to Nebuchadnezzar and yes to God. It started with this invisible yes. An invisible yes. They resolved in their hearts not to eat what the king was offering them. An invisible yes is this. It's, it's the yes that nobody sees. It's the yes that nobody's going to praise you for. That nobody might even notice. And, and, and an invisible yes is not about um, hiding your yes, but it's about not getting your satisfaction from people acknowledging your yes. Does that make sense? Like, like your yes is not meant to just be this false asceticism that's saying, I don't want anybody to know how much I give because that's, I don't want people to look at me. It's, it's not just saying, I don't, I don't want people to know that I do this or that I do that because I, 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 I'm, I'm not like that. I'm not doing this for other people. It's not about hiding your yes to God. It's about not making your yes to God actually for other people. It's about doing it in secret. It's about, it's about having this moment, this space with God where your yes is not for other people, it's actually for God. I remember when I was in college, there were a lot of invisible yeses that I had to give to God. It was uh, 
uh, freshman year and welcome week. Everybody's making their friends, going out, doing whatever they wanted. That whole freshman year, you find yourself, everybody's making friends, going to parties, enjoying themselves. And I had resolved beforehand that there was going to be a certain type of way that I was going to live that was to honor God and not to honor God. There were a, a lot of invisible yeses that I made to God that expressed themselves in really lonely nights, really lonely weekends. Really sad times by myself, times when I thought I was missing out. Well, they get to do that, and they're making all these friends, and they're having fun, and they're doing this. And, and it expressed itself. It was manifested in a lot of weekends spent by myself. An invisible yes that nobody recognized. Well, I guess now I told you, so it's not invisible. But, I mean, it was invisible beforehand. <laughs> It was an invisible yes that wasn't for other people. It was between me and God. And, and here's the thing is that it's really difficult sometimes to have this invisible yes because we're living in a see me culture that always wants to be seen for what you do, right? I mean, you, you always want to have people acknowledge what you do. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there's this Instagram culture that see me. There's this, there's this uh, Snapchat or this Facebook, I'm going to show you my life and, and I want you to praise me for what I did. And we're living in a see me culture, but the issue is that we have a shh God. We live in a see me culture with a shh God. A God who is not trying to make you the most popular person in the room who doesn't need to be acknowledged. I mean, we even see that Jesus, when he was healing lepers, he would say, hey, go, I'm healing you. You're healed, you've been clean. Go show it to the priest, but don't tell anybody. Shh. And what did they do? Everybody went and told anybody anyway. He went to go heal a woman and he said, hey, you're healed, but shh, don't tell anybody. He went to go heal two blind men at a gate and sin. They were crying out, oh, help us, so save us. He heals these two blind men and tells them what? Don't tell anybody. We live in this see me culture with a shh God, which means that we are constantly fighting this idea and this, this, this pervasive thought that everybody needs to know what I'm doing. Everybody needs to acknowledge what I'm doing, praise what I'm doing, see what I'm doing. And if I don't get my acknowledgement, then is my yes really worth it? Does anybody see it? Does anyone see me? See the sacrifices I make? These invisible yeses. And they all come from a God who didn't need to be seen. From Jesus who was not trying to be seen. From a Jesus who said, hey, uh, th there was a lot of reasons that Jesus said, Shh, one for the messianic secret. It wasn't his time to be revealed as the Messiah yet. He didn't want to be delivered up and killed before his time. So he was saying, hey, don't do this. But we have Jesus who was actually saying, it's not my time. And sometimes I really believe the most valuable obedience to God is the obedience that happens between just you and him. That can't be seen by anybody else. And is that enough for you? If nobody acknowledged your obedience, is that enough for you? If nobody said, good job, is that enough? That your father in heaven says, no, I saw it. I, if they, they didn't praise you. I know you did all the work. I know you did a bunch of this. I know you didn't go out when you felt like you wanted to. I know that you didn't drink at that thing. And I, I know that you actually stayed pure in that moment. And I know that you didn't say this when you could have said, I know they didn't see it, but I did. Is that enough if your obedience is just between you and God? If your little yes 
isn't seen by people. It's actually only seen by God. And this type of invisible yes actually fights directly against a praise-based obedience that is doing something in hopes and in, 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 in hoping that actually somebody does see me. That my yes is for the sake of, hey, I saw that. Good job, man. My, 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 my yes to God, my no to the world is actually in hopes to be seen by the world. And it directly goes against, it goes against a faithfulness that is based on the acknowledgement of others. And if somebody sees your faithfulness and then acknowledges you because of it, and then you feel good, it goes directly against that because it's an invisible obedience that's just between you and God. It's not a praise-based obedience. It's an invisible obedience, something that somebody might never praise you for, but God sees. And I really think that God actually keeps some of us invisible on purpose, to be honest. That some of us want to be seen and we're frustrated that we're not seen, but it's actually God's plan that we're not seen. It's actually God's plan that our yeses aren't manifested in the world and people aren't praising you and liking it and commenting and and celebrating and throwing parties and, and saying, oh, good job, I saw what you did there. I think it's actually part of God's plan that he keeps some of our yeses invisible. Because if 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 God let everyone see your yes. You would be the type of person who got addicted to the approval of man instead of the approval of God. And then all of a sudden your yeses would be to please somebody else and not to please God. And you would start to say, as long as man approves of me, I don't really care what God thinks of me. And God says, I have to actually keep you invisible, underground, secret and safe so that your contentment comes from me and not from man. And so now you're invisible, but you're fighting your invisibility. And God says, hey, the reason that you're fighting it is actually the reason I'm still keeping you invisible. It's because you're, yes, you're still trying to get your satisfaction, your joy, and your contentment from somebody else acknowledging it. And Lord is saying, what if, and actually, I really feel, what if God is saying, isn't my yes enough? Like, like if they don't see it, and I do, isn't that enough for you? Or is it not? If God is the only person who ever acknowledged your yes, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Some of us, I think God keeps invisible on purpose. We would grow addicted to that public celebration instead of that private affirmation. We would say, I need that public celebration. If I didn't get that public celebration, that private affirmation is way quieter. It feels like it doesn't hit as hard. It doesn't doesn't do as much. And we are in invisible places sometimes as believers where our yeses might never be seen, but that does not mean that they're not effective. Because just because something is invisible does not mean that it's infertile. Just because something's invisible doesn't mean it's infertile. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not producing fruit. Just because you can't see the effects of your faithfulness of praying for your husband every day does not mean that it's not doing anything. Just because you don't see the effects of tithing weekly doesn't mean that it's not doing anything in the spirit. Just because you are committed to staying pure, even though all of your friends are doing whatever they want to do and they're getting more attention than you, doesn't mean that you're not sowing fruit. Just because it's not seen doesn't mean it's not producing fruit. 
We do this all the time. We plant seeds. And what do we do? We plant a seed in the ground and we cover it up and it's invisible. And we walk away knowing that's going to produce some fruit. But sometimes in our lives, we can't connect the dots spiritually speaking. We sow a seed of yes in the soil of faith. And we say, I really wonder if God's going to grow that. We can see it in the natural. I sow a seed, it's going to grow. But we see it in the spiritual and we say, I really wonder if God even sees that. I really wonder if God's going to acknowledge it. I really wonder if God's going to do this. We cross our arms at God and we start shaking our fists and say, God, does my invisible yes mean anything to you? Just because it's invisible does not mean that it's infertile. This invisible yes adds a meaning to every single day. That means every day you wake up, if nobody sees what you do, you have an invisible yes to give to God. And it adds something into every single day. That means a single mom, you have an invisible yes, although you feel like you have not been acknowledged for doing all the things that you do and you're underappreciated. There's an invisible yes where God says, I see it. If you're a student right now and you're the one who's staying in your dorm room alone and you're saying, man, I've been trying and I feel like I'm invisible and I'm trying to figure this thing out and nobody sees me and I don't feel like it's really doing anything. Let me tell you, God sees it. When you're that retired person and you're saying, I don't really know what to do with this anymore. I had a purpose here and now I don't know. Nobody really sees it anymore. I feel like I've been forgotten. There is an invisible yes that God honors. And just because something is invisible does not mean that it's infertile. There is, there's work being done underground. There's work being done in the unseen places, in the unimpressive places in the little yeses that you give to God every day. The little moments where you say, I'm not, I'm not going to backbite. The little yeses where you say, I could get more money in a pretty negative way, but I'm not going to do that. The invisible yeses where you could send that text, people might not know. No, I'm going I'm to choose God. That invisible yes where you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep tithing. Nobody knows. Nobody knows I keep giving to the benevolence offering every week. I'm, I'm going to keep going. The invisible places in your social circle where you don't joke about what everyone jokes about, where you don't go where everyone goes, you don't drink what everyone drinks, you don't talk about what everyone talks about. The invisible yeses. Those invisible yeses are all we need to do to sow that yes into the soil of faith and let God produce fruit. Or an irrelevant yes. You might be in the place where you wonder, does my yes even matter? Does, does what I'm doing matter? This is the yes that seemingly nobody cares about. We see with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, feed us vegetables and water. And that might sound just like, okay, well, that's interesting. I guess they're making a stand. That's great. They're doing something for God. But here's the thing. These guys were by far not the only Hebrew boys taken from Judah. But they're the only Hebrew boys we find who took a stand for God. Everybody else, every other Hebrew boy, we only see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who said, I'm going to give God a yes, even though everybody else is saying no. And I can't help but imagine they thought, does this matter? Like, we've been taken, 
I'm not in my culture. No one's going to judge me because everyone else is doing it. Is this an irrelevant yes? Maybe you're in culture and you're like, everybody else is doing it. I'm in a Christian group and still everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is living this way. Everybody I see is acting this way. Everyone I know is getting their money this way. They're acting this way. They're posting this way. They're living this way. And you might wonder, is this an irrelevant yes? Does this even matter? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I can't help but think that they had that same moment of, is this a yes that matters to God? Let me tell you that there is nothing that's irrelevant to God. There's nothing. We find in um, 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxieties. That means the big anxieties and the little anxieties. That means everything that concerns you concerns God, that there is no irrelevant part of your life that God is not concerned with. We go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. It says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That's saying that God won't even let a bird die without his say-so. That's how much God cares. That's how intentional God is, is that there is nothing that is irrelevant to God. And these Hebrew boys knew that there is actually, if I give God this yes, he can do so much more with it than I can. And I'm going to give God this seemingly irrelevant yes. God can use all things for his glory. It just depends on what you give him. It just depends on what you're going to give him. These irrelevant yeses, these, these, these little things. I really believe that the little things are big things. That the little things are actually big things. I'm not sure if you uh, heard about it in the past few years. You hear about like the, the bee issue, how like bees are going extinct. Did you guys hear about this? I, I was looking this up and, and bees over the past few years, there's been like this, this colony catastrophe where bee colonies are actually like suffering and dying off at an alarming rate. And people... Uh, when I first heard this, I was like, great, yeah, woo, no more bee stings. And I was like, that's great. Like, I guess less honey, but less bee stings. So it's a good trade-off. And so that's what I thought, right? And I was like, okay, like, what's, what's the issue? Like, what's the point of, like, less bees? And I was looking this up, and it says that actually bees pollinate 70% of crops that feed 90% of the world. They pollinate 70% of the crops that feed 90% of the world. That's a lot of food. That actually means that if bees all of a sudden went extinct, actually 50% of our fruits and vegetables would be gone. 50%. So that means that an immediate impact from bees going extinct. I was reading this and I was like, this is nuts. Like, that's crazy. We got to do something about it. I'm not going to do something, but somebody has to do something. And I was like, that's crazy. I was like, what do I do? I'll be a beekeeper, right? But I was like, that's, that's like, what, what do you do? Like, what are we supposed to do about this? And you might be asking, like, what's, what's the point? Like, what does this do? Well, it actually affects whole ecosystems because as soon as bees go away, as soon as bees go away, what happens is that now the birds who eat the bees are now have less food. And that means that they either leave or die off, which means that overnight an entire ecosystem can change because one insect leaves. Why am I saying that? Because a small thing can have a big impact. A really small thing can have a really big impact. That's what 
this is telling us is that, is that even what you think might be small and insignificant, seemingly unimpressive and unenthused that nobody cares about, the seemingly irrelevant be, the seemingly irrelevant yes, the seemingly irrelevant no, the small things that you give to God, reading your Bible every single day, even though you don't think that it actually does anything, the simple, small, quiet, invisible, irrelevant yeses can have an impact on a whole ecosystem. It makes me think, what if my reading the Bible every day is a colony of bees? Right? Like, like what if I don't even acknowledge how important this is until it's gone? And what if reading your Bible every day, what if actually praying to God, what if actually attending your small group, what if actually being generous, what if actually saying yes to God in the seemingly small areas of your life actually has a big impact? What if you're that, that single person today and you're saying, I don't know if the way I'm living life, trying to honor God matters at all. I don't know if this means anything. I don't know if God honors it. I don't know if God sees it because I'm still single and I wish that it would change. That irrelevant yes that God sees and honors. What if it's you that's tithing every single week and you're saying, I know that God said he will pour a blessing on me and I do not feel blessed, Pastor. What do I do? That irrelevant yes. What if you're the one in the friend group who's trying to honor God and you're like, everybody else is doing it and they seem to be having more fun than me. They seem to have a better life than me. And I thought that if you did bad things, bad things would happen to you. But it seems to be the opposite because they do bad things and their life is great. And we start to see like, does my yes matter? And we start to, to ask, and I want to take us to one scripture in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, verse 33 to 36. This is Jesus feeding the 4,000, and it says this. And, as the, and the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them. And gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. This is when Jesus feeds 4,000 men, not including women and children. And what happens, he feeds all these people seven baskets left over, this amazing miracle that God does with this. And, and, and the interesting part as I was reading this story is not just this, although it's an amazing miracle, it's actually what the disciples said. Because if you look, they said, Small fish. Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. Now, I don't get the point of saying small fish because there were 4,000 people. So I don't care how big your fish are, they weren't going to feed 4,000 people, right? Like, like, why did they say small fish? You know what I mean? I, I don't care how big of fish I have, I'm not going to feed everyone in this room. And Jesus says, how much do you have? And he says, seven loaves and a few small fish, a few small fish. Jesus might say to you, what do you have? He said, oh, well, I only have a high school degree. Small fish. Jesus might be saying, well, what, what do you have? Well, I only, it's kind of a, a broken family. Small fish. 
Jesus might be saying, what do you have? Well, God, I only have a little bit of money. Small fish. What do you have? I'm a single mom. Small fish. What do you have? Well, I'm, I'm single. Small fish. What are you calling small that God is trying to use? Because God never asked of the condition of your fish. He asked for your fish. And here's the issue, is that I think the disciples thought the fish were irrelevant. That's what they Jesus said, what do you have? And they said, I have something that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What are you going to do with this small fish? And some of us in this room, Jesus is saying, what do you have? And you said, I have this irrelevant thing. And we start giving God these irrelevant yeses. But let me tell you, when they gave Jesus the small fish, Jesus fed the crowd. And what do you need to give God in your small fish, your irrelevant yes, the thing that you don't think matters, that God is trying to change people with, that God is trying to change your family with, that there is actually an impact that God wants to have with your small fish. It was an irrelevant yes, something they didn't think that mattered, that God actually used to feed thousands. Some people are starving because you're calling it small. And we say, it's, it's not worth it. This doesn't do anything. And God is saying, I didn't ask about the size of it. Give me the fish. We bring him the small, and he'll do something amazing with it. We bring him what's seemingly insignificant, and he'll make it significant. We simply bring God our water, and he'll make it wine. Bring him our irrelevant yes, the small, the little yeses, and he'll do something amazing with it. Which leads to an incredible yes. I want to switch over and go to Daniel chapter 3, read a few verses for us, because... When we think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what do you think of? When you think of these three Hebrew boys, it's not your question. When you think about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you've been in church, the story you think of is the fiery furnace, right? We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and I hope, right? <laughs> Let's read our Bibles, guys. No, I'm playing. And so, but like we, we read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And so we read the fiery furnace, that they got to this point, and they went to the, the Nebuchadnezzar, and he was like, bow down to this idol. And they said, no, we're not going to bow down. And he says, I'm going to turn it up. I like you guys, but if you don't bow down to this idol that I set up, this golden image of myself, then I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And they go this, this crazy cool line, a song. We actually wrote a, a song to this verse, Abel, our God is. And it's about uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar saying, if you don't, then I'm going to throw you in the first. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, our God can save us, will save us. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. This amazing line. And we think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for this story. That's what they're known for. These three Hebrew boys who said yes to God in the middle of incredible danger. And that's great. But I want to submit to you that perhaps their incredible yes came from a bunch of invisible and irrelevant yeses chapters before. That a lot of us want an incredible yes for God, which is good. We should want an incredible yes for God. And I'm telling you, that incredible yes does not happen with those invisible and irrelevant yeses. Let me read this for you. It says in Daniel, 
excuse me, Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through uh, 18. It says this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, <laughs> and I love this. They said, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, even if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. This is is the story that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are known for. And what I learned from invisible, irrelevant, and incredible yeses is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could say no in front of the furnace because they first said no in front of the feast. They said no in a seemingly small, so they could say no in the seemingly big. They said a simple little yes to God and we will not defile ourselves and do what everybody's doing under the cover of night where nobody could see and probably nobody will judge us for. We are not gonna do what everyone else does in the little yeses, the invisible irrelevant yeses and look at what happened is that that paved the way for their incredible yes in God. That because of their faithfulness with the small, Jesus says, you can be faithful with a lot. That's the way that Jesus says it. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. He who is faithful in the little yeses will be faithful in the big yeses. It's a simple structure that Jesus gives to us in faith. And as I close, if Darian can come up, we have this understanding, this true understanding that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw the value in the little yeses so they could say yes to God in the big. And it's as simple as that. It's what are we seeing as invisible and irrelevant that we are actually dismissing because we're looking for the incredible. I think so often, sometimes we actually disqualify ourselves from the incredible because we're, we're actually looking past the invisible. We're looking past the irrelevant. We're looking past what's right in front of us, the simple yes of reading my Bible, the simple yes of holiness in God, the simple yes of being a follower of Christ, the simple yes of reading my Bible every day, the simple and little yeses of honoring God and honoring others every single day. And we overlook these things because we're saying, God, I want the incredible. And God is saying the incredible starts in the invisible. The incredible is going to start in the irrelevant. And we're overlooking, we're overlooking the little yeses that God is putting in front of your family every day. The ways that we can as parents or you can as parents actually pave the way for your kids to say yes to God in the little yeses of your daily life. You're paving the way for a generational blessing of incredible yeses by your little yes. And I want to read one more scripture. Because this is similar to what the apostles thought. They said in Luke chapter 17, verse 5 and 6, the apostles said to this, and probably what a lot of us have said, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Some of us have that prayer. God, increase my faith. Lord, do something with me. Do something incredible in my life. I want to I love you. They knew that faith comes from God. 
Like this isn't a, a try harder, do better, works-based type of thing with the little yes. This is God, I need more of you. They wanted that. And this is what Jesus said. He says, and the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say yes. You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. So often, I think that we are actually overlooking the mundane in search for the miraculous. We're overlooking this seed of faith, this tiny seed that God is saying, I'm not asking, when you ask for great faith, I'm asking for a mustard seed. When you're saying, God, increase our faith, he's saying, we'll just plant the little yes that you have right now. Would you plant the yes that I gave you right now? Would you use the little bit that you've got that you don't think matters? Because actually what Jesus is saying is that the little things are big things. What invisible yes, irrelevant yes, is God calling us to have so that we can give this incredible yes to him? I feel like there are a lot of people in this room who just need to give God a simple little yes. That can look like a lot of different things. That could be your purity day in and day out that nobody sees, but God sees. That could be your conviction to get up and pray for your family every single day. And nobody's going to acknowledge you for it. That could be your commitment to attend a small group every single week that nobody's going to praise you for. That could be your commitment to put God before your, before your work. That could be the, the commitment to have integrity in the workplace. That could be commitment to honor God in all that you do. That could be a commitment to read your Bible every day. And say, God, I'm going to do the little and you'll do the big. I'm going to give you my little yes. And Lord, would you do something that I can't do with it because, and here's the thing, because Jesus first gave us his yes. By leaving heaven and coming to earth in the form of a baby, yes, Lord. He says, I only do what I see my father do. Yes, God. So by Jesus committing to walking with some knuckleheaded friends who he knew would abandon him, yes, Lord. It's Jesus' commitment to going into the garden, sweating drops of blood and saying, not my will, but your will be done. Yes, God. It's Jesus' commitment to go before Pilate and say silent when he could have called down a legion of angels. Yes, Lord. It's Jesus' commitment to let them take Barabbas instead of himself. Yes. It's Jesus' commitment to stand and sit on that cross and say, I know I don't deserve this, but yes, God. It's Jesus' commitment to leave and give the advocate and give us the advantage of the Holy Spirit and say, yes, God. All of our yeses stem from like what Pastor Corey said, saying that he has said yes to us for far longer than we've said no to him. And in that yes, the consistent, invisible, irrelevant yeses that Jesus gave, now we can in response by the power of the Holy Spirit sow seeds of faith in yeses to God. This is our response to him. This is our response to the gospel. And I want to ask you, church, can you give God a little yes today? Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you so much. We're so thankful for the gift of grace, Lord, that you loved us and chose us. 
You died for us when you didn't have to, but you chose to. Jesus, you said yes to us. Thank you, Jesus, for saying yes to me. Thank you, Jesus, for saying yes to me. Thank you, Jesus, for saying yes to me. If there's anyone here who has not said yes to Jesus, the God who has said yes to you, who has not given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I just want to pray for you. I want to, I want to pray with you. If there's anyone in this room or watching online who hasn't given Jesus their yes, who has never said yes to God, or maybe you did say yes to God, and now your life looks like nothing like that, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to God again today. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right now. And I want to pray with you. You in the room or online, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I just want to pray with you. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to pray this prayer with me in your heart. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for sinning against you. I'm sorry for saying yes to the world and no to you. And today, Jesus, I choose to say yes to Jesus. I choose to say yes to the God who's been saying yes to me. I choose to say yes to the cross, the one true payment for all of my sin. I choose to say yes to the forgiveness that only Jesus offers. And I choose to say yes to the Holy Spirit empowering me to follow you. Thank you for loving me, God. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we are so excited and happy for you. This is the best decision you've ever made. Jesus changed my life forever and for the better, and I know that he's going to do the same for you.